I am Claire, and that's Luke. Um, just, woo, just to to you know lift the lid a little bit. We have had a rough couple of days. Both our boys not well. Um, some of you, not all of you, know our eldest Zachary was only born with one ear. He has a deformity called microtia, and so when he started complaining of a sore ear, you kind of have to sit up and take note. Finn woke up on Saturday morning with two yellow oozing ears, ended up, you know, a couple of hours and out of hours yesterday to get antibiotics, and they haven't been sleeping, but I don't know about you, but when stuff starts to go physically wrong, you sit up in the spiritual and you go, something is going on. So, <laughs> um, so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to declare open ears for you today. <laughs> um, so, as a posture to experiment with. You don't have to do it. Won't you put your faces up to heaven? And I want to declare the kiss of the Father. I want to declare the kiss of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, we love you. And we love your embrace. And I say, hearts be opened ears be opened, that they may never hear the same again. I pray a closeness and ability to hear your voice, Daddy, Spirit, Jesus, that no one in this room would question whether or not they can hear your voice again. And I declare breakthrough over hearing in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, recently we've had a couple of interesting developments with our two little boys. For those that don't know, like Claire said, we've got a one and a bit year old called Finley and we've got a soon to be four year old called Zach. And uh, recently Finley has started walking. So he is now terrifyingly mobile. <laughs> and um, I, I love it because we've taught him a little bit of baby sign that he totally abuses. So, you know, there's a few basic things like you're supposed to go, that, that's please when they want something. This is supposed to be juice. However, this has turned into absolutely everything he could possibly want. So now he'll be toddling around the house going, ah, 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 ah. And we have no idea what he wants. So it's kind of, it's kind of backfiring on us a bit. And another recent breakthrough this morning uh, was over breakfast, which... Um, for those of you that know me, obviously it did include bacon. It was bacon, egg, and haggis. It was excellent, best way to start the day. Um, and this morning, a very key thing happened. Zach decided that he liked bacon. Come on, this is, this. Uh, praise the Lord. You know, this is excellent news. So I'm quite pleased, but I'm also a little tentative because now that means I need to share my bacon with one more person. So I'm kind of feeling a bit conflicted about that. So, yeah, today we're going to be continuing our story a bit and talk about uh, a lifestyle of breakthrough. Um, but first, I thought it would be a good idea to give a brief recap, kind of where we got up to in our story last time. For those of you that weren't there and missed it, and for those of you that are maybe a bit like me and don't have a great memory as well. 
So essentially, we were living in Cape Town, South Africa, at the time, and um, we basically we kind of risked everything to move to Glasgow. Um, huge step of faith. We were like, yeah, and then things started going wrong quite significantly in a lot of ways. Um, so I couldn't find work despite being a highly qualified and experienced teacher. Um, and then Claire's visa expired and she had to leave the country on Christmas Eve 2014 with, with our son, Zach. So that was kind of where we got up to last time, more or less. And obviously things didn't stay that way because we are together and our children are here. Um, so I got a wonderful job and joined them in South Africa. And we lived in Durban for about, what, eight months? Um, and I worked remotely. And we'll fill you in on some of the details later, but rather than just giving like story at the beginning and then the rest of it, we're just sort of gonna punctuate the talk with some specific testimonies of stuff, of the cool stuff that happened a step at a time. So, breakthrough is what we're talking about. And breakthrough is, we've experienced a fair bit of it. And it's part of the Christian life really, isn't it? Breakthrough. So I mean, if you have a dream, if you have, prophetic word over your life, in order for it to be fulfilled, you need change to happen. You need something to change, and that comes as a result of getting some kind of breakthrough. Um, but in order to, you know, change the world, change our workplaces, our communities, our families, our friendships, anything really, we need to maintain an intimate relationship with Daddy God. I'm sure a lot of you have come across the phrase, fruitfulness comes from intimacy. Well, in the same way, breakthrough comes from intimacy as well. And we would have given up long ago, and we, we wouldn't be in Glasgow if uh, we hadn't cultivated a joy-filled, passionate, personal relationships with God. And Claire will talk a bit more about intimacy with God a little bit later. Uh, but I'm going to kick things off a bit by talking, by kind of exploring what breakthrough is really in different types. Um, so breakthrough is often a single glorious event, the kind of thing that takes place once in a while, maybe at a conference, at some wonderful, cool place, some visiting speaker or something. Yeah, it's often seen as um, some sort of thing like that. So it's, it's a healing. It's a miraculous circumstantial change which happens quickly. Um, it can be rapid reconciliation in family relationships. So we heard a testimony of that recently from uh, uh, Ben Monteith a little while ago. Just some rapid, miraculous reconciliation that happened in a really short space of time. It was amazing. Um, however, breakthrough is also not always an event. So... I think it's important for us to have a breakthrough framework to help us understand the different types because breakthrough isn't always an event. Sometimes it's quite a lengthy process that you go through. So from what I've read in the Bible and from what I've experienced personally, uh, there are three types of breakthrough. There's long-term, short-term, and medium-term. Uh, and the idea of this is that it helps us to understand the relatively kind of misty, murky uh, undefined area of breakthrough, not to give us precise criteria. So, long-term breakthrough. So, for me, this refers to promises and dreams that can take the better part of a lifetime to be fulfilled. So, you're talking, you know, this is the kind of stuff that 
you're dreaming for, longing for, for many, many years. So one of my favorite examples of that is Caleb from the Bible. So you know, he was one of the two spies along with Joshua who came back from the promised land when the Israelites were all in the desert. And him and Joshua were like, this place is awesome. We've just got to kill some guys. You know, get, get them out of the way, but it's amazing. And everyone else was like, oh, the guys, giants, smelly. Yeah, no, not going to do it. But Caleb was one of the two guys who thought, this is awesome. However, he didn't get into the promised land until he was about 80. And he still then had a lot of work to do. Um, so he was waiting over 40 years to see that particular dream fulfilled, to get that kind of breakthrough. And another one is Abraham, and he's pretty well known. He was over 100 years old uh, when he and Sarah finally did have their own son. Now, I don't think we've personally experienced necessarily long-term breakthrough yet, because, I mean, we're only 30, but we're coming for you. We're going to see that kind of stuff. Um, next is short-term breakthrough, and uh, this tends to be circumstances and challenges that need to be overcome. So this can be, say, an illness, a job, or something else that you're in faith for. So think about David and Goliath. That was something that happened in a relatively short space of time. David showed up. A few days later, he was fighting Goliath, and he killed him. Uh, or Gideon and the Midianites. That's another story of relatively short-term breakthrough. From start to finish, it wasn't a really long length of time, really. And an example from our story would be the current job that I got in February of 2015. Uh, so I'd been unable to get a job as a teacher, essentially due to bureaucratic red tape. Um, and I'd started working in a French call center when I finally got an interview for a job as an e-learning designer. So designing awesome online experiences which equip people with skills to be really cool at their jobs, basically. Um, and I'd applied for that specific job about three times. And I, I saw the job description and I remember thinking, that's perfect for me and I am perfect for it. However, I kept submitting my CV because uh, th there must have been an error. I didn't get any interviews, any calls or anything. I thought, surely there must be, surely, you know, the, the recruitment agency is messing, messing up here. Um, and I was right. So I finally submitted another CV, and I bypassed the recruitment agency and went direct to the company, found out who they were, got an interview, they loved me, uh, they were impressed with a little trial thing I did for them, and I got the job, and I love, and it's 18 months later, and I'm still really loving my job. I basically get to sit behind a desk all day thinking of really cool ideas. It's great. I'm listening to various song lists on Spotify and stuff. Some of you may have noticed the themed musical days I often ask for input on from Facebook. It's quite fun. Um, and I also have an amazing boss who you'll hear a bit more about in a few minutes. So that's relatively short-term breakthrough. Now, medium-term breakthrough is kind of a blend of the first two. So it can be circumstances that need to change. It could be an illness which turns into a pretty long-term illness. It can be promises and dreams that you're yet to see fulfilled. Um, so think about, say, Jacob, who had to serve Laban for what he thought was seven years before he could marry Rachel. And then the day after the marriage and the wedding night, Laban was like, ha, actually, no, Rachel's over there. That's Rachel's sister, the one you don't like. 
That, that would suck. Working seven years, I need to marry someone you don't actually like. That's, that's tough. So he ended up having to actually work for 14 years. Um, I think the best example I can think of of kind of medium-term breakthrough in our lives would be the moment when we finally got Claire's British visa in, what was it, kind of, I don't know, a little while ago. It was like September, August, about a year ago or so, I think. Um, so this was an amazing moment. Um, and shortly after starting my job in 2015, Claire had a visa application denied. So this sucked, obviously, because it was a denial. It sucked even more because we'd based our application on so-called expert advice from a professional, and it turned out to be really rubbish advice. So anyway, at the time, we figured that the only option was for me to join Claire and Zach in South Africa and either try see if my new boss who'd known me for two weeks, see if he would allow me to work remotely, or if not, I'd just have to find some sort of job in Durban and make a plan. So I spoke to my boss, who again had known me for about 14 days, um, and updated him on our situation because he knew that my wife and son were in South Africa and they were applying for a new visa. So I kept him updated and I said, okay, so visa application was denied. This is our only option. Um, do you mind if I go and work remotely from Durban, South Africa, for about six to eight months, and then I come back maybe every two months for meetings and stuff. So he said yes. Um, not only that, but I got a company laptop out of the deal, and they even paid for a portion of my international flights once every two months, <laughs> which is awesome. So we ended up flying over here uh, permanently in October last year, just less than a year. Uh, just less than a year ago now. Um, so from the dream's inception to its fulfillment was kind of around five years because we'd been making noises and thinking about the timing of moving and stuff to Glasgow, I know, a number of years ago. And then with the whole visa debacle and the work issues, that made things last quite a bit longer than expected. So why am I talking about different types of breakthrough? Well, all breakthrough is important whether it's relatively short-term, like David and Goliath, or a healing, whether it's medium-term, like making a big move which takes longer than expected, or whether it's this long-term thing, you know, a lifelong dream that you want to see fulfilled. All breakthrough is important. But I think that we tend to focus a lot on the bigger dreams, the lifelong things, and forget about short-term ones. So I think my final thought for this section would be What's your dream, not just for your life for the next 10, 20, 30 years? What are you dreaming about for this year? What are you pursuing God for for breakthrough in the next 12 months, next 24 months, next three years? Over to you. So when we tell people of um, our story and what we've been through, often the comment is, um, oh, yeah, that's, that's a rough season. We get this word season that gets thrown around in the, in the Christian community quite a lot. And, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the word. It's, it is biblical. You know, the word seasons comes up a lot. There's a lot of seasonal references. You have your Ecclesiastes, a time to be born, a time to be die. There are different times in our lives. But I, um, 
I don't like that word seasons. I think it takes up too much space in our brains, takes up too much focus, and I think we can make a mistake to focus in on the season and make our season more important than God. So without an intimate relationship with our loving God at our center, seasons can take charge and determine our being, depending what the season is, whether it's good or whether it's bad. So there's this great song, United Pursuit's new album, and they've um, got a song entitled Seasons Change. Um, and it's the, the line that just runs over and over my head all the time is, though the seasons change, your love remains. And that's our center. That's what holds us. His love is constant. It's ever-present. And it's the key to breakthrough. Hope Church, whatever happens, whatever breakthrough you're seeking for, wherever we go, whatever we do, we need to be securely fixed and grounded in the unfailing love of God. It's our litmus test for every situation we're in. Knowing the love of God will rip open the, the lies in your life. It will turn your family right side up. It will transform your workplace. When we are truly saturated in his love, we can see a city transformed. We're going to see Glasgow transformed because we are radically in love with our king. So I'm unashamedly going to tell you something you already know because we need more. If we want to see people changed, if we want to see our families changed, if we want to see the city changed, the most important thing we can hear today is that Daddy God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you deeply. He loves you passionately. He loves you devoutly. And nothing, nothing, nothing is more important than that. Psalm 4 verse 7 in the Passion, I kept on saying the Passion Translation when we were practicing and Luke moaned at me. It's not the Passion Translation. It's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. It's a paraphrase. So in the Passion Paraphrase, um, Psalm 4 verse 7 says, the intense pleasure you give me surpasses the gladness of harvest time. Isn't that great? Intense pleasure surpasses the gladness of harvest time. I mean, harvest time must have been pretty great. But the intense pleasure of God surpasses that. I want life to be going amazingly and it not satisfy me as much as my love for God. And our daily challenge is to be checking ourselves of that. Is something in my life today satisfying me more than God? That's, that's hard. You know, that's hard. But that's an adjustment it is worth making. One of the most difficult questions God ever asked me, and it totally threw me, um, when I was, you know, fairly newly saved, young and, well, I'm still young, um, you know, single, and and I was praying for my future husband, and God interjected me. And um, God answered her prayers, by the way. He did. God interjected Abundantly. when I was. <laughs> um, but God interjected me, and He said, He said, He said, Claire, you know, if you don't ever marry, will you still love me? Wow, that's a rough question to ask, and I really had to wrestle with that for a good few months. And in wrestling with that, and in that rocking, my value system, realizing, wow, I'd, I had some idols I needed to deal with. I'd set up a lot of future hope in having a husband. 
um, was a good few months before I could go back to God and say, no, God, I will never, will never love anyone more than I love you. And I've had children. Man, get the God to ask you that question about your children. That is rough. You know? But no, God, I will, I will never, I will never love my boys more than I love you. You, you are more important. You satisfy me more than their giggles first thing in the morning and their cuddles last thing at night. He satisfies me more than that. And that's just, yeah, I am a better wife when I love God more. I'm a better parent. I'm a better mother when I love God more. Who do you love more? What satisfies you more than his love? Matthew 6, 6, <laughs> Zach, the other day on the way to nursery, we were, um, we were busy praying for the day, and he says to me, Mommy, do you know what? Jesus is my treasure, and I am his treasure, and that means I'm in his family. And I was just like, what? That's amazing. <laughs> and um, you know, the night before, Luke had been reading, reading the storybook Bible to Zach, and he totally got that. And my prayer for, like, for his life is that he would never forget that. You know, that's amazing that he would know that and just spout out that truth. Um, where our treasure is, is where we dedicate our time, our resources, our energy, our headspace. Come on, Hope Church, let's store up treasure in heaven. Let's, let's have our treasure in the right place. Um, Philippians 3.8 in the Amplified Version, which some people like to joke is the, the woman's version of the Bible because it's lots of words. It's not. It's a great Bible says, Philippians 3.8 says, more than that, I count everything as a loss compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, a joy unequaled. Paul here, he's talking about losses and gains and, he's, and he, he loves the superlatives. Ultimately, he says, no matter what we lose, that void will be more than satisfied in knowing Jesus, and not simply knowing him, but being more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him. So, so what does true intimacy look like? It looks like hard work. It's not easy, you know, short-term discomfort, long-term gain. I've known my husband for nine years, for six of the, seven, six, seven, seven of those we've been married. And um, the relationship that we have is based on a lot of fun, a lot of joy, um, but it, it's, also, it's also hard work, you know? And our relationship with God is similar. If I only spoke to Luke once a week, I'd be worried for my marriage. It's the truth of it. It needs, our relationship with God needs the same level of intimacy as I, as, as I require with my husband. Actually, it needs more. Song of Songs is an entire book which is dedicated to celebrating and demonstrating God's desire and love of his church. And there's that, you know, you can tell that I spend a lot of time listening and absorbing worship songs because the next one is that Jonathan Hulson song, Abba. And it's, there's that line and he, he sings, um, you're closer than the skin on my bones. You're closer than the song on my tongue. Man, well, how differently would we live our lives if God were closer than the skin on our bones? And that's intimacy, isn't it? Closer than the skin on my bones, closer than the song on my tongue. Intimacy is not easy. It requires effort, pressing in, getting deeper. With God is often difficult. It's sometimes scary. 
And it's so important to remember that because of God's grace, we don't need to earn his love. He's not going to love me more if I talk to him more than once a week. You know, just, just, let's just set you free of that now. Most of you are already free of that, but set you free of it now. God doesn't say I love you more now because you took time to love me back. Or I love you more because you know, I loved you more when you were a student, which I certainly feel like sometimes because when I was a student, I had way more time. Um, or I loved you more when your life looked like X, Y, or Z. No. Because when, he, when we were not interested in at all, he sent his son to die for us because he loved us at our worst. So his love for us is not required on our effort. I have to say that. Um, we need to open ourselves up to more of that love if we want breakthrough, really. If we want to see our families change, if we want to see the city change and our nation turn towards him, it starts with intimacy. God wants us to push deeper into him. There's so many verses we can go into. 1 Timothy 6, 11, 12 says in the message, you know, I like my alternative um, versions. Is it a translation or a paraphrase? I don't know. Pursue a righteous life, a life of wonder, faith, love, steadiness, courtesy. Run hard and fast. Seize the eternal life. I mean, there are so many wonderful action words in that. Pursue, strive for, push towards, work towards, run hard and fast. I mean, you're trying to get fit again. You feel like you're going to die the first time you go for a run. You really do. Um, and so as we pursue, let's, let's not expect comfort. You know, just because God is wonderful and he's gentle and he's... It's, if we're going to pursue this thing, it's not going to be easy and it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to maybe sometimes, not always, be like that first time you go for a run after not exercising for a long time. Your lungs are going to burn and you're going to have to push through if you want to make it to beyond the horizon. So when we pursue a deeper relationship with him, he's going to point out the chains that are holding you back. He's going to point out the points of unforgiveness in your life. If you want freedom, you've got to deal with that stuff. So let's also seize. Just the, um, the other day when I had dropped Zach off at nursery, Finley and I were busy walking out, and as we were walking out um, the gate, suddenly the whole school decided to arrive at the same time, and Finn's just learned to walk, so he's kind of toddling. Luke mentioned it earlier. But Finn had my hand, and he walked straight into the midst of those people who were three, four times his size, totally nonchalant. This is not a big deal. I'm going to walk into the, you know, this enormous crowd. And he walked straight through them. And it was such a God moment for me. And it was like, if, if we're holding Daddy God's hand, we're not going to see those giants as being giants, are we? We're going to have breakthrough just because we're doing it simply. We're walking through holding onto Daddy God's hand. And it's simple and it's straightforward and it's uncomplicated. But often loving God is un- inconvenient. There's that great film, Amazing Grace, where William Wilberforce, he has that line. I don't know if you really said it or not, you know, but movies are great. So he says, um, he's chatting to Richard the butler, and he says, oh, you know, God has found me, and um, you have no idea how inconvenient it is. I mean, that's William Wilberforce. He lobbied for and was successful for changing the laws around slavery. He did amazing things for education. I mean... If he was talking about inconvenienced, being inconvenienced by God, who doesn't want to be inconvenienced? You know, he completely changed the shape of a nation and many other nations. We don't have, well, there is still slavery now, but, you know, legalized. It's not a law. It's just amazing. And the message 
Um, it talks about a devout, li- a devout life brings wealth, but the rich simplicity of being beself, yourself before God. You know, that, that thing of, I will make myself inconvenient just so I can have that rich simplicity. So Jesus, he tells us how to do it. Matthew 6, 6, again, the message says, here's what you do. You find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage, and the focus will shift from you to God, and you'll begin to sense his grace. Intimacy is simple. It's uncomplicated. Yes, it's inconvenient. As soon as I sit down with a cup of coffee in my journal and a podcast and whatever, then someone falls over, and someone's hungry, and someone needs a toilet, and, you know, mom, that's just what happens. Have a Cunnington. I listen to her podcast, and she talks about she's got four, four boys under the age of seven, and she says when, she's, when she spends time with God, she has a station that she sets up of, of drinks, of food, of drugs, and everything that they may need, and she'll sit down, and one of her boys will, will come in, and she'll just grunt and point to whatever they ask for because she set it up in advance, and I mean, that's what it's going to require sometimes. It's inconvenient, and it's hard work, but it is 100% worth it. Now, me as a mom, like I said, I'm a better mom when I do that. One of, the, one of the big ways, um, I'm not going to tell you how to spend time with God or go into that, but one thing that has really helped us is remembering what God has done for us, arming ourselves with remembrance. You know, this idea of testimony kind of links into that, but arming yourself with remembrance is so key to that. Psalm um, 78 talks about the Israelites and their uncanny ability to forget what God did for them. Um, and the, the ESV actually gives this, this psalm the title, Tell the Coming Generation. And it says, tell the coming generation, you know, and it goes on and on. It says, tell, tell them the glorious deeds of the Lord, his might, the wonders of what he's done. And it lists all the miracles, you know, striking a rock and water coming out and, and all of these amazing things. And um, Nehemiah 7.21 also adds, and it says, their clothes did not wear out for 40 years. God sustained them. That's insane. Clothes not wearing out for 40 years. And they forgot all the time what God had done for them. Again and again, the Israelites were, faith, were faithless and forgetful. And it's so contrasted in that psalm with God's faithfulness and remembrance of them. And that's, that's him. When we arm ourselves with remembrance, our faith grows and we can be expectant for bigger and more wild things. There's this really cool series that we're watching at the moment um, on Netflix called Falling Skies. And it's, you know, not zombie apocalypse, alien ap- apocalypse, and the world has ended. And there's a guy, he's a history teacher, and he's or history professor, and he's the one who's, who's leading the charge. And he's constantly pointing back in, in, the, in the history and said, this is what the, the Nazis did, and this is what happened in this Mexican uprising. And what they use, and they remember what happened before in order to defeat the aliens. And so, you know... We need to remember what God has done so that when the aliens invade, we can conquer them too. <laughs> so, <laughs> in terms of remembering of what God has done, the other day I was chatting to Luke about, you know, maybe feeling ready to go back to work and we we're talking about um, maybe I would want to change my profession and requalify, and we talking about the money that that would cost and I was just getting so frustrated and I started to think about all the things that haven't happened and we don't have the money for this and we still don't have our own home and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, when you focus in on what's not happening and you forget what God has done for you, you forget that God's done some amazing things. So, like, some of our testimony has to do with Luke's masters. I'll get all the figures wrong. Do you want to quickly do it? 
Yeah. Uh, so oh, a few years ago now, like 2012, I think, um, I started doing a master's degree. Uh, did it part-time over two years while I was working. And, you know, it was expensive. Um, but we decided that it wasn't the kind of thing. We weren't going to do it unless God provided the money for it. So it was supposed to cost, in South African rand, it was about 100,000 rand, um, which is not the same as 100,000 pounds, but still a significant amount of money. And we did not have that much at all. Um, anyway, so it so happened that not only did I get a bursary for it, but I got a bursary and a grant. And of the 100,000 rand my master's degree was supposed to cost over the two years, um, we paid 8,000, which is a fraction of the final total. Yeah. Um, well, not only with that, Luke wasn't quite, you know, he hadn't done an honours, so you normally uh, you get your undergrad, and then you get an honours, and then you get your master's. He, they were just like, oh, well, we'll give you an honorary honours so that yeah. you can do your master's, you know? <laughs> um, and then, like, another thing I was feeling frustrated in was homes, and, and there's so many people in Hope Church who've got crazy testimonies in terms of um, getting homes, and even in our time of homelessness, you know, remembering and thinking back, there wasn't a single time when we lived in a house that had less than, I think, six or seven bedrooms. Every house that we stayed in had a swimming pool and a couple of acres garden. I think that one house we stayed in um, for a month, it came with two maids and a gardener, and we had our nanny, so we had a lot of help that we didn't it, need. It was actually a mansion. Yeah, I mean, you know, so... Remembering that stuff, remembering God's favor gives you faith and equips you and arms you for breakthrough in, in the next season coming. So whatever God has done for you, remember it, write it down. Whatever God's done for the person next to you, remember it, write it down because God's got more for you. Time for the chorus. <laughs> um, so I'm going to talk a bit about perseverance um, so related to inconvenience, uh, but mainly from one of the stories that God spoken to me, challenged me, and encouraged me through the most over, I don't know, many, many years, and that's of Joseph. Um, so, I mean, at a young age, he had these crazy dreams from God about his future, but for many, many years, his circumstances contradicted God's promises and what he believed for. Um, so we know he was betrayed by his brothers who sold him into slavery, um, after deciding not to kill him. Then he was betrayed by the wife of the Egyptian official he served, and he was chucked into jail for years, where he also served diligently, only to be forgotten by those that he'd helped. And then it all turned around in a matter of days, quite dramatically, for him to become number two in the entire country. Um, so quite a turnaround. And there are quite a lot of things that you can unpack from the story, but I'm just really going to talk about a couple that I find really challenging from Joseph. Uh, the first is that Joseph persevered in his hope. So he didn't give up on his dream, even though circumstances consistently contradicted his dreams for many, many years. Now, I'm sure he did go through times of doubting God's goodness, maybe God's love for him, and maybe like the veracity of his dreams and doubting. But he always turned to God for fresh hope to keep his faith sharp. He always sought intimacy with God. Now, disappointments, which I'm sure Joseph did feel at a few stages, uh, disappointment can poke holes in our hope. And when this happens, our faith becomes dull because faith is built on the foundation of hope. 
Next, uh, Joseph persevered despite the cost. Now, it might not have been a financial cost for Joseph, but he certainly gave up a lot in order to pursue God, in order to have a relationship with God, in order to pursue God with integrity in his life. So he, he could have slept with Potiphar's life, uh, with Potiphar's wife. He could have compromised his integrity uh, when it was convenient to him, but he didn't. He could have given up and stopped working so hard. He, could, he didn't have to work diligently where he was. I mean, he was a slave. He didn't have to work diligently, really. And then he was in prison. He didn't have to work diligently in prison, but he chose to. Um, so even when there was no improvement in sight, he still persevered in his hope. He still persevered in faith. And whenever God presents us with some sort of promotion, some sort of advancement, some sort of positive change, uh, there's always some sort of price we need to pay if we want it. So salvation is free, but dreams can be expensive. So it can be financial. So I mean, for us, it costs us pretty much all of our savings just to actually get over here. Um, it always involves getting out of your comfort zone. It's really inconvenient to pursue your dreams. Um, it can mean taking on intimidating responsibilities that are going to be an inconvenience. Often, I mean, it's all of these things and even more. And thirdly, Joseph persevered in using his gifts where he was. So he didn't mope around feeling sorry for himself for very long. He persevered and stayed faithful to his call, exercising and growing in his gifts in his present circumstances to the best of his ability. So, I mean, even as a slave, even as a prisoner, he was working hard. And you know what? The skills that he developed, the skills that he learned as a slave, as a prisoner, uh, in the midst of circumstances which weren't as he wanted them to be, those skills enabled him to seamlessly transition to becoming the second most powerful man in a country. And he saved both that country's citizens from a seven-year drought and also the citizens of su surrounding countries because they'd stockpiled so much while Joseph was in charge that they could sell it off to you know, anyone nearby who came and needed it. So the job that you're doing now, the skills and character that you're developing and refining now will serve you in unexpected ways. So thinking about, oh, yeah, well, this hasn't happened yet, that hasn't happened yet. We're yet to see this job move, yet to see this dream come true. Yeah, well, what you're doing now, if you do it diligently, if you really persevere in pursuing God in where you are right now, what you do now will serve you when the time comes. So we need to be able to persevere because breakthrough often doesn't come quickly. Breakthrough can be unexpected, but breakthrough can also be a long process. So seeing change can be a gradual process of slowly gaining and keeping your ground. You can think of breakthrough in terms of seeds. So sometimes the seeds of faith that we sow don't produce fruit, as it were, uh, for a really long time. So if you think of it like uh, a tomato seed... So faith is sometimes like a tomato seed. You plant it, and then a few months later, you get some delicious, juicy fruit or vegetable, depending on which side of the fence you sit. So not long after that, however, the, the plant dies, and you need to start from scratch. If you want more tomatoes the next year, you need to sow fresh seeds, yeah? 
You get different types of seeds, though. So seeds for a fruit tree, for example. Then you plant it, but it can take years to see any fruit. And then only a little at first. So who likes avocados here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Most of you, wise people. So avocados, the trees can take between 5 and 12 years to actually produce any avocados. Now, if you're an avocado fanatic and you bought yourself an avocado tree and you're thinking in, in five years I'm going to get me some avocados growing out my own tree, then 10 years later you still don't have any avocados. Uh, I'd be a little disappointed. But the fruit that you do get, it doesn't just last for one season. It keeps producing year after year after year and you get enough fruit to feed other people. So we've known people with avo trees, and they're like, please take these avos. They're, they're kind of swamped in them. <laughs> Eddie's like, okay, we'll take some avos. Then you end up with like 45 avos in these plastic bags you're struggling to carry because there's so many. And they're like, can we give you some more? Please take more of our avocados. <laughs> you can have so much and absolute abundance from that. So... This is a kind of breakthrough that I think we've seen over the last couple of years. It's been this kind of gradual, incremental breakthrough. I think we're still going to continue to see fruit from the seeds of faith that we planted for years to come. It's going to be, I think it was avocado seeds that we planted. Now, sometimes we think we're planting a vegetable garden with our faith, when actually we're planting an orchard. And that requires perseverance. And perseverance, that's a fruit of the Spirit, a fruit of intimacy. So when we're persevering and when we are a church who is completely captivated and in love with the King, then we are a church who is mobilized. Because perfect love drives out fear. And when we don't fear, we can do anything. Song of Songs 1 verse 2 says, Let, me, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. And that word kiss is the word nashak in Hebrew. I'm probably saying it totally wrong. Um, But in the Passion Translation, there's a word play in the Hebrew, and that word kisses. And it's similar to a pun. And um, I've taken it directly. This is a little, you know, note. You know, you get a little B at the top of the word. This is completely straight out of there. So the word for kisses and the word for take a drink is nearly the same. The implication as seen by the ancient expositors is that God's lovers will be drunk with love. Am I still? Oh, yeah. Will be drunk with love, the intoxicating kisses of his mouth. And the Hebrew word for kiss is nashak, which can also mean to equip or to arm for battle. We need his kisses to become equipped warriors for him. Isn't that amazing? The same word for the incredibly intimate act of kissing is the same word as used for being armed with a weapon. Come on. Is arming yourself for war and being intimate with God going to be messy? Yes. Are we going to make mistakes and end up homeless? Yes. Definitely. Will it increase our intimacy? Well, at the end of the day, that choice is yours. 
every day you have the option of moving and choosing to move towards God. The simplicity of his peace, or we can choose to not do that. Interestingly, that same word, Hebrew word nashak, is used in Psalm 78. Remember when I was telling you about how Psalm 78 demonstrates how the Israelites kept forgetting and God kept remembering? Well, the Ephraimites in Psalm 78 verse 9, the men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. And that word armed in that psalm is actually also nashak. It's the same as kiss and arm. And so the point I'm trying to make there is it is possible to have known the kiss of God and to be armed and to still end up walking away and disappointed and disheartened. And maybe, maybe we've, we've all been there. We all forget. We've done what the Israelites did. We've put our hope in something else, a person, our job, a spouse, whatever it might be. Whatever it may be, this relationship that we have with God takes work. It takes a daily choice. We can't just assume because we've experienced the nashak of God before, because we've experienced his intimacy before, because we've experienced his arming up before, that there isn't more now to push into. It takes a daily encounter and a reminder to ourselves of what is important. Let's not rely on the last time we experienced the kiss of the king. Let's be seeking him out for more, for a deep encounter with him so that we can experience breakthrough in our lives, in this city, in this nation, and in this world. So I think there are kind of two things we want you guys to take away from today. And the first thing is to think about how can you inconvenience yourself in order to have some time of intimacy with God this week. So have a think this week. How can you inconvenience yourself in order to pursue God a bit more in terms of spending time with him? And also, um, what are your dreams? So what are your long-term, medium-term, short-term dreams, things of breakthrough that you're believing for? And I'd like to encourage you to write them down. So what's the stuff for you for this year, for next year? Maybe there's even something this week you're thinking, actually, I'd really love it if God could break through in X, Y, or Z. And just like Claire mentioned about writing stuff down earlier, what God has done, why don't you write down under those sort of headings what you are believing God, believing for God to do in the future, not just long-term, but short-term and medium-term as well.